not sure if it's fair to call it a tale of two halves on Monday night because it was nip and tuck in the first half after the Raptors got off to a pretty decent start, certainly a very hot start for OG Ananobi. You look down and, well, suddenly the Raps are down by one at the break, but it was nip and tuck back and forth, and all of a sudden Portland takes control in the third quarter, looks to keep control in the fourth quarter. The Raptors have this monster comeback, pull within one before the Blazers do what the Raptors have done so many times before, bend but don't break, Jonesy. They didn't allow the Raps to truly get back over the hump. They end up delivering the knockout punch. Toronto loses by five. They dip below 500 and start the road trip, the six-game road trip on a sour note with the loss against the Blazers, and we can dive into it right now and, and, and pick yeah. apart a lot of the finer details, but that was a tough one because I, I, I don't want to sit there and say that I thought it was in hand, but when you had the start that you did, shooting the ball the way you were and, and OG going off and, and, and maybe eyeballing a career night, it just sort of petered out over the course of the evening, and it was the Raptors that looked like the team that was coming in on the second night of a back-to-back -back following a game in Denver, but it was actually Portland that was that team, and they were lights out. Quite simply, Eric, it was the defense for Toronto. It, it was. Yeah. It, it really was, and uh, I, I know we didn't have the, the late-night flight last night, but uh, I didn't watch the entire game. I just focused on Portland's assists shooting 56%. When you're shooting 56%, it means you have some easy looks. And the Blazers had 25 assists. Uh, I went back and watched every one of their assists. And I would say 60% of them. I, I counted 15, actually 16, 12 and 4 as I put it. 12 were, their, were direct paint touches. I mean, a guy got at least one foot in the paint and kicked it out to a guy who made a shot. And then there were four that I, I call kind of the paint, the hockey paint assist. Ball got into the paint or there was penetration from uh, the wing, the top, somewhere on the perimeter into an area, if not in the paint, very close to the paint, certainly inside that, that you know, what we used to call back in the day that that 15-foot radius where you wanted all of your shots when everything was a two before the paint became popular, a punch into that area, a pitch out, and then an extra a pass. That the, the, the philosophy that Nick Nurse employs with his, his offense, drive, kick, swing. And if it doesn't work, do it again until you get the shot you want. Well, Portland did that, and I counted 16 of those assists um, that, that were either paint touches or, or drive, kick, swing, uh, baskets for for Portland, so the defense let down, and and I guess it's concerning because here's a team that um, is is one of the best defensively in terms of opponents' field goal percentage in the NBA, and and they're up there. I, I actually I'm going to double check that number, but I know they're up there in steals, and I would hope that they don't become a team defensively because this is the second night in a row that they let teams shoot over 50%. They don't become a team defensively that, okay, well, we're a good team in steals. So if you gamble and you don't get the steal, and, and like people don't look at steals, folks, as a measure of good defense. Right. It's not always a measure. Steals just means sometimes you're gambling a lot. And, and it's you, okay yeah, to, gamble. to gamble. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's okay to gamble. But you know what happens when you gamble and, and, and it doesn't, and you don't win, you lose and you get hurt and, and, uh, you know, I, I hate to see them just depending on that 
basing their defense on that. So, you know, for some of our uh, casual fans that have come over to the game, steals aren't aren't always an indication of good defense. There's nothing wrong with keep the guy in front of you, contest the shot, get the rebound. That gets you the ball the same way and doesn't stress your defense. So, you know, back to my point, though, last night, there was a lot of dribble penetration, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, easy catches after a while and the ball getting to where it wanted to for Portland to to make plays. And I, I think, you know, that's probably most concerning more than anything else for the second game in a row. Well, Jonesy, how how much of a fan are you of defensive rating? Like, I mean, as a purist, are you still looking at just simply field goal percentage and and points per game, or are you looking at the overall defensive rating as well? And the reason I ask that is, uh, you know, the Raptors just not long ago, uh, what, a week, week and a half ago, we're talking about a team in the midst of a five-game winning streak. Well, now, after last night, they're one and five in their last six, and let me tell you where they sit in terms of defensive rating. Dead last, 30th out of 30 teams in terms of defensive rating. And that, speaking to everything you just said, is clearly not something we're used to seeing with this team in a long time, whether it be under Dwayne Casey and certainly under Nick Nurse as well. This team has has made its mark defensively more often than not, and we're not used to seeing them, again, dead last over a six-game stretch. And I I can't imagine that that's something that Nick Nurse is going to put up with and keep up with, and there are going to be changes. I'm not saying changes to the starting lineup, but changes in terms of the way they're playing, the way they're guarding, and guys just having to step up, period. Yeah, I, I am a fan of defensive rating. It is, it you know, per one hundred possessions, and yeah, uh, it, it's it's a it. I think it's a good. I think it's a good marker. It's, it's, to me, it's kind of a an advanced um, extrapolation of defensive field goal percentage. All you have to do. I mean, people look at the Raptors' numbers, and yeah, they're second in steals, but I stand much corrected. They're near the bottom in opponents' field goal percentage. Uh, they are they are near the bottom. They're in the bottom third in opponents' field goal percentage. They're in the bottom third in assists given up. Those are measures of defense too. And you know they've been doing a lot with turnovers. And while their field goal defense percentage defense may not be that great, or they may give up a lot of assists, the fact that they're turning people over and 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 stealing the ball, opponents aren't getting as many shots as they are. So it it kind of masks that and it helps that. Even last night, they had seven more field goal attempts. But, I mean, we've seen games where they've had a difference of, you know, 12, 15, 17 more field goal attempts. Well, that's because of your rebounding, turning them over in the aggressive defense. And and some of that has gotten lost to mask some of the other things in the last couple of games. So, um, look, the offense, you score 113 points, you shoot 46%. You make 15 threes, you get to the line, you're 16 of 18, you, 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 make more field, you make more free throws than the other team has even attempted. A lot of those things point to wins. And, and it just, uh, you know, when you give up 56% and your rebounding is even and, you know, the other team's getting into the paint and, 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 and kicking out, um, it's, it, it, it's tough to win. Yeah. 
No doubt about it. And and also tough to win when you got Damian Lillard back in the lineup. He missed the game against the Nuggets, but then was able to go in front of the hometown fans last night. He had a certainly a fine performance, but as good as Dame was, and this has been the case for a while now in Portland, Jonesy, that one-two punch in the backcourt. One night it's Dame torching you, the next night it's C.J. McCollum or vice versa. Or, hey, we could argue that they both were magnificent last night, but McCollum especially time and time again, especially when Toronto was making those runs in the second half and, you know, they had the 14-point lead down to, I think, down to two or three at one point, and then, boom, McCollum puts it back up to six, back up to seven, eight points. And then when they cut it late, again, down to one, it was McCollum who was hitting shot after shot time and time again. And to your point with what we've been discussing together the last few minutes, defensively, a lot of those shots, I'm not trying to take anything away from McCollum, a lot of those shots were open looks. I mean, wide open looks where he had a chance to set the feet and, and tee it up and and that's got to change that's got to change well the other thing with a guy and and quietly cj mccollum has been a raptor killer very quiet yeah, oh, remember yeah. last year he, i mean a great sequence a, a great uh, ball handling dribble sequence to to create his own shot and an elbow jumper to knock the raptors down and, and win that game and uh you know they're it's 114-111, under a minute to go, and a one-point game, and you need to stop. And, you know, McCollum makes, uh, you know, a 15-foot jump shot. So, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it's one, what, 112-108, you know, and, and McCollum makes, makes a, bi- a big play again. So he's been a quiet Raptor killer. And, and, you know, to your point, Eric, all you have to do is go and look at the assists. And I, I, I think – Trying to keep guys in front of them on the perimeter uh, is has got to be a focus for the defense. I, look, they're doing a great job with ball pressure, uh, hence the steals and the turnovers, but it's the next part of that. If you don't uh, disrupt the offense, get a steal, uh, it, you know, you still have to play the rest of it. You, you, you got to maintain on the perimeter. You got to make the catches tough. You got to challenge shots. You got to rebound, and you, you can't just play – one part of the defense and say, well, it didn't work. Now they're going to score. It's got to be multiple efforts. And that's what I saw early in the year. And I haven't seen, not any, but I haven't seen as much of it, especially at key times uh, in the last couple of games. You know, and speaking of defensively, we we kind of uh, touched on this last night. If uh, you didn't see it, folks, we've been doing, you know, throughout the season, uh, our little quick reaction videos that we've been posting on, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, the, the video blogs, normally only about two minutes long, just to kind of give quick reaction uh, after a win or a loss for the Raptors. And one of the things we brought up, and we can dig into it a little bit deeper right here, uh, it was a learning moment, or at least more than one, multiple learning moments last night for Scotty Barnes, because as well as he played, uh, and, and certainly as well as he played in the second half on the offensive end, defensively, there are going to be nights like this. I thought that he allowed Damian Lillard to get by him a number of times when he was trying to keep him out on the perimeter, and, and Lillard with one move, boom, he's gone. And, I mean, hey, that's Dame, multi-time all-star. Scotty Barnes, welcome exactly. to the NBA. Hey, that, but then also, Damian Lillard. also yeah. Jonesy. Yeah, exactly. No doubt, no doubt. I'm not, again, I'm not ripping the guy. It's just a fact. He's, he had a rough night or had at least a rough few possessions, and he's a rook, and he's going to learn from these, hopefully, because there was also uh, a couple of plays late in the final 90 seconds, final you know two minutes of the game, Jonesy, where uh, you know Barnes got got beat badly, and also just you know vapor locked on a couple of turnovers. And I don't know if that was you know just kind of the the moment catching up to him, if it was again just a blip on the radar. But two key turnovers that he had late, I think, had a big impact on the game. 
Yeah, and and this is the learning part, right? This is the um, you know the the roller coaster you you go on with a youngster who's going to be one of your cornerstones uh, going forward. So uh, you know, it just it's just something that uh, you know you're going to have to live with. You sit down, you watch you watch a video with him, and you teach him. And he's got veterans around him, guys that have been there before, Pascal, Fred. OG, you know, a guy like Dragic, they, they, they know, so he'll get, he'll get good tutelage from them, but it's, it's, it's kind of typical, right. Of the Raptors that, I mean, just look at, look at uh, the games last week, you go into Philly and you win a game that, you know, people, a lot of people probably don't think you should win. And then you come home and you lose to Detroit and, and lose a game that a lot of people don't think you should have lost. I mean, that's kind of, I think what you're going to see, uh, in 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 parts of this season with this team, look the fact that they can hang their hat on a team as, as a team that plays very hard is something that is 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 noble and something that you want. But mistakes have to be limited, and you can't just be playing hard without a focus on what it is that you have to do. So, uh, you know, I I look for I look for that to improve. Uh, it would have been nice though for them to get that first one on the road. They. Man, they really had a great start, and and they just they just couldn't keep up at the defensive end to hold Portland off. Well, and you knew how important that game was for Nick Nurse as well. You just got to look down at the final numbers after the game and look at the way that he rode his starters, knowing that they don't play again until Thursday. Hey, we got Tuesday, Wednesday off. Yeah, we'll probably practice on one, if not both of those days. But otherwise, no game for a couple of days, uh, almost three days by the time you actually hit the floor on Thursday night. Every starter playing 39 minutes or more. In fact, four of the five starters playing 40-plus minutes. Pascal was the only one under 40 at uh, 39 and change. And Siakam Jonesy, 20 points, six boards, six assists in the game. He has yet to taste the win column since his return. And it, it, it's funny, you and I uh, you know, dug into this a little bit uh, last night as well. And, and I'm going to circle back on this. Pascal Siakam, I do not understand the angst or animosity that seems to still be out there from some in the Raptor fan base. Even after the game last night, I had getting a couple of tweets from people, to their credit, that are staying up late listening to or watching the game, and we appreciate that, and Raptor fans just dialed in and, and, and trying to support their team and follow their team. But, man, it's like, is, is, is Pascal, has he done enough? Has he shown enough in terms of his progression as a player? Is he holding back o, uh, OG Ananobi? Is he holding back Scotty Barnes? Do we need to uh, move Pascal? Is he going to be worth the money? He's 27 years old and he hasn't shown enough. It may, like It's just constant, and I'm not seeing it. I thought he played pretty well last night, uh, and I think that he's a guy that is going to make this team better in the long run, and I think you're better with him than you are without him. But... Maybe I'm missing yeah. something because it seems like he's become the lightning rod, both he and Fred to some extent. One night it's all Van Vliet's holding back Delano Banton and Banton. Well, I mean, listen, Banton's a hell of a story, folks, but let's pump the brakes a little bit here in terms of suddenly just laying it all at the feet of the two guys that are hopefully taking you into the next few years at the very least in Fred and Pascal. I, I don't know. Am I wrong well, with that? No, you're not, and 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 I. Will and folks, say you can always and, text and, the show too five ninety five nine. You can text. You can interact with us on Twitter, and we read the texts as well. So you know, if you, if you feel otherwise, again, feel free to weigh in. Well, I answered one of our 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 listeners and our uh, you know our members of the Twitter family with you, you, you want too much too soon now, 
you know, oh, they're stunting people's growth or we got to move this guy. No, 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 no. Uh, how many years do we talk about teams that have a good young core, but there's no vets to teach them? And, and nobody's listened to a vet that's in the latter stage of his career just sitting on the bench and not doing anything. There are, there are only so many Udonis Haslam's out there, okay? There, there are only so many of those guys out there who, by the way, earned all that respect and built up that, 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 that credibility and that cachet beforehand. But, you know, you, you start rushing a guy like Scotty or Delano or, or, you know, Precious, you start rushing some of these guys and they start focusing on the end goal and not worry about process as much then you're not going to improve. You're going to develop bad habits in trying to get to the ultimate goal. And, and, and this is why you have, um, you know, a team that has a mix of vets, by the way, championship vets, which not every team in the NBA has, and youngsters that are, are learning and willing and eager. And I, I gave the example when the Raptors go back to when the Raptors drafted, you know, Vince Carter and they had Tracy McGrady here and, all of a sudden, they brought all these vets in, and Charles Oakley readily admitted with him and 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 Muggsy and D Brown and Antonio Davis and Del Curry. He said, "Hey man, we're like a band. Vince and Tracy, the backup uh, lead singers. We the backup band." And and I, I don't think you can rush that. I don't think you can rush that as much as people want to see, you know, Banton on the floor and and you know, uh, you know, and Flynn and 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 Scotty like handling the ball. You don't want to. Get to the point where, look, let's face it, the NBA, sometimes the word development is code for you're going to get beat up and you're going to try and learn from it. And you don't want that. And the Raptors have done a very, done an excellent job of winning and developing over the years. Even in their championship, the build to the championship, Fred, Pascal, Norm, you know, Pirtle, all these guys, DeLon Wright, they were all learning, uh, you know, playing in 905 and coming up to the big team and, and, and kind of, you know, it's like your teenager when you're, you're teaching them to drive on a back country road and there's no law enforcement around. Okay, I'll work the gas. You can, you can have a side steer. You can steer the wheel. You know, you can do a little bit. And I just think that you can't rush or else you're going to end up with bad habits and it's not going to get better. You're going to have things that you need to undo before you get better. So I, I, I like what the Raptors are doing. I don't understand people that, you know, have the hate for Pascal and Fred. Uh, I, this, I, I, to me, that's not understanding the big picture. I, I don't disagree with you, Jonesy, and I would say the other thing too, and I'm going to repeat this ad nauseum over the course of this season. Unless you are out there believing that this was a 48, 50, 52, 55 plus win team, this is what it's going to be. Most of us had this team somewhere in and around two or three games above or below 500, correct? Somewhere in the 38 to 43 range. This is yeah. what it's going to be. It's going to be ups and downs. It's going to be hovering around 500. It's going to be nights where they look like they're, they're, they're world beaters, and there's going to be frustrating nights where you're pulling out your hair. And it's a matter of, to the point you just made, Jonesy, correcting these things and teaching these things to an otherwise pretty darn young team that hopefully thus makes them better come playoff time if they're able to get in, let alone come next season and in future seasons when they've had these learning moments and, 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 and been taught ways to get through the highs and lows and the, the, 
the rough nights, like last night, of poor defense, of inconsistent offense, whatever it may be, the mistakes that come over the course of an 82-game season, especially as a young player and a young team, right? Uh, Totally, totally. I got it. All of it. Yeah. All right. We are going to stay on the Raptor theme when we continue. We will be joined by Michael Grange, who was in attendance last night in Portland, and we'll look ahead to the rest of the Raptors' road trip as well. Again, as I always tell you, folks, you can find Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you rate and review the show as well. Back in a moment. morning eric smith paul jones with you make sure you subscribe to the show rate and review as we bring into the conversation we continue talking with the toronto raptors and we can look back to last night a little bit more but also look ahead to the next five as the raptors are indeed on the road for two weeks and a long stretch of games and crazy as it is as well just as a quick aside i was looking at the schedule last night and maybe some folks already flagged this This is the first of two six-game road trips that the Raptors have. And as bonkers as it is that they go from Portland to Utah to Sacramento to Golden State, then across the country to Memphis, up to Indiana before they come back home, they've got another one in March where they start in Cleveland and then end up in Los Angeles. (laughs) I mean, I don't know who in the holy hell is making these schedules outside of the – the computer, but there is no regard for any sense when it comes to schedule making in the NBA these days. I it, Jonesy it baffles me yeah. how that's even possible. I mean, that trip sounds even worse than the ones the Raptors are currently on. Well, remember the back in the lockout season, the sixty-six games when we had the uh, Jonesy and E's excellent adventure when we saw we did the uh, the two oceans, the mountains, and the what was it the yes. two two yeah. oceans. Two oceans, the mountains, and the plains. Right, we had a trip that went from uh, we had a tip, trip that went from New Jersey before they became the Brooklyn Nets, or maybe it was maybe they were just around that time when they were changing. It was uh, they went uh, Brooklyn or New York, uh, Milwaukee, uh, Cleveland, Los Angeles, Utah, Denver, and then came home. Right, like crazy. Crazy. Yeah, they I mean you gotta eyeball the schedule a little bit, don't you? That's just me. Well, this current trip that the Raptors are on again started last night in Portland. It will end uh against the Indiana Pacers in damn near two weeks. It's a trip that I believe I saw the graphic last night is going to cover eighty nine hundred kilometers of travel. And uh Michael Grange was in Portland last night following the team from Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca, and he joins us right now. Michael, thanks for the time. Always. How are you guys doing? Good morning, Green. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Good. We appreciate you waking up early for us as well. Uh, you know, West Coast Grange at uh, 8 a.m. And, uh, hey, and hey. Uh, hopefully hopefully you're uh, not worse for the wear. Here's the all real good. question. All good. Here's the, re- here's the real question. We're all fathers here. Did you have a nice, quiet sleep last night? <laughs> uh yeah, I guess. I mean, you know. Yeah, come on. After admit the it. game and, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> I did my best. I did my best. 
Uh, Michael, I, I'm looking for a segue here. Maybe that could be that the Raptors uh, maybe didn't do their best last night, certainly not on the defensive side of things, giving up 56% to the Blazers. And Jonesy and I were kind of breaking it all down the last 20 minutes or so, the fact that now back-to-back games uh, against the league's worst, worst offense, uh, the, the Pistons, they certainly made Detroit look pretty damn good. And then last night, uh, I mean, they tried to go punch for punch, but it wasn't working as they just could not seem to stop a blazer shadow last night as Portland was getting almost anything they wanted. Yeah, I mean, when you give, it, give up 56% for the field and, you know, you're, not, you're really very unlikely to win many games. And I think, you know, what's a little concerning uh, the last couple of games, I mean, you know, Detroit's Detroit. That was, you know, that should never happen. Uh in theory, but you know, Portland, they've got some really good players and some really good offensive players, as we all know. Um, but I guess what I kind of noticed and, and what you'd have to be a bit concerned about is the point of having a positionless lineup and having, um, you know, a lot of long rangey guys who can switch and, 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 um, you know, give you a lot of flexibility defensively is they all should have some ability. They should all be, have some, um, they should. You can't. When you switch on to them, it's great to switch, but you actually have to keep your man in front of you. I guess exactly. is what I'm trying to get to get at. And um, you know what I noticed last night was, you know, uh, Portland's guards just having a way too easy a time to beat the first defender on a switch. And you know that's that's not the scheme. Uh, the, the idea is that these guys, be it um, Siakam, be it Scotty Barnes, be it OG Ananobi, be it whoever, can at least kind of tread water for that split second and and give enough time for the help to get get arranged behind them. And that certainly down the stretch uh, was not the case against Portland. And, you know, you got to give you know, CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard a lot of credit. I mean, they're just spectacular uh, in their ability to, you know, create deception with the ball. But, um, you know, I, th- I thought that there was a lot of breakdowns right at the point of uh, at the point of the offense last night. Yeah, I'm, Michael, I agree. And before you came on, Eric and I talked about it. I counted 16 of the Blazers' 25 assists that came directly from people getting into the paint off penetration. And you're right. I mean, that's that's Damian Lillard. That's C.J. McCollum. That that's. That's like trying to hold water in your hands. You, you can't do it for very long. You're not going to stop those guys all night. But, um, you know, you know, we hear terminology like switch and smother. Like, and that's what it is. When you switch out like that, smother that guy. Then, you know, you, you jump him, uh, you, you know, string him out. Try to make him pick his dribble up. You know, make him so aware of beating you that all the other stuff that he could do, pass the ball, shoot the ball, it all becomes, you know, difficult to do. And I, I guess what I'm concerned about, Michael, is the last couple of games, the shooting percentage is over 50%, but yet here's a team that still leads the league in steals and, and turnovers forced. And it's almost as if, you know, I hate to think this, but they're saying, well, you know, we, we went for the steal or we, we didn't force the turnover. Okay, well... You know, if they miss, we'll get the rebound. If we don't, well, we'll go up to the other end and score because they 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 scored well last night. I mean, they they jumped out like a house on fire. They had 113 points, which is over their average, but they weren't able to win the game. Just, just your thoughts on on you know on on the defense, I guess, uh, further on the defense than you know in terms of the switching and 
and keeping guys in front. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it wasn't good enough, right? And 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 you're right, Jonesy. I mean, they they won the turnover battle again. They won the offensive rebounding battle again. They got more shots up than the other team. They got a really impressive, at least first half performance from OG and Obi. Uh, it was a game they could have stole, I think. Um, but if you're going to really break it down and you look at where the game Portland was able to steal it back. Um, you know, it was this, the start of the second quarter and start of the the, the uh, fourth quarter. In each case, it's your, you know, there's a, you know, this team, I think they hoped it would be a little deeper than it's been. And then, you know, last night either, <laughs> you know, Nick Nurse didn't trust him or they didn't deserve the trust because in each case, uh, you know, he, he went to his bench and Portland got on a roll and Nick Nurse went right back to the starters really quickly. And, you know, I think that's another factor. So, you know, the real tough element of that loss is you play your starters, all of them, you know, between 40 and 41 minutes. And, you know, you'd, if you're going to go that hard with your top group, you'd like to get a win. Um, you don't get the win, so you've kind of – your benches, uh, you know, I think they're – you know, you got Mihalik, Banton, and Flynn, and they were a collective minus 28 in about – 20 minutes floor time. Um, got 12 that's points. not going to get it yeah. done. Yeah. So, but it's what they gave up, you know? So, so I think there's, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing some cracks here and, and the Raptors margin for error was, I don't think anyone ever imagined they'd be a team that could play poorly and win, um, you know, but in terms, but their identity, I think, and what they showed when they were, you know, had their little winning streak there and, and some of their better performances and losses has been that they are a very disruptive defensive team. But to your point, Jonesy, you know, they can do all the disrupting while kind of maintaining the fundamentals, right? Like they, you can't just gamble. You have to gamble and uh, and help. And you have to, um, you know, you have to gamble and still find ways to secure rebounds and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's, I think what's been missing the last two games. And, you know, the, the why for that is, is, is the mystery at, the, at this point. Speaking with Michael Grange from Sportsnet, Michael, let me preface this by saying one game. I mean, we could argue two games. We could even argue it's, it's more than that as the Raptors are one and five over their last six. But all that being said, I'm not looking at this in, 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 in just one moment last night and saying, oh, the change has to happen. But when you're trying to address the second unit and the, and the lack of punch that you're getting from the bench, especially in the offensive end, do you think Nick looks at, at any point, changing the starting lineup? Because there was chatter before Siakam came back. What will the Raptors do? Will they go a little bit smaller and bring Precious off the bench now, put Siakam into the starting lineup, and Gary Trent's proven that he should be a starter based on the way he's been scoring, let alone the way he's been defending, and certainly with the steals, et cetera, et cetera. But then there was another school of thought that said, well, maybe Trent could still come off the bench, though, be playing against some second-unit guys, still end up being uh, you know, sort of that sixth starter playing starters-types minutes, maybe in closing certain games. He's just not in that starting lineup. Is that a move that Nick could still make? Does he need to? How do you find that punch, that consistency with your reserves? Well, I wonder if maybe that have used Jordan Dragic a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, um, you know, he's, he's still a pretty good player. He showed it the other night against Detroit. He was pretty effective. And Nick said himself, uh, you know, he didn't think he was going to play, play him as long as he did in the second half, but he was playing great. So he kept him rolling. And, and then he doesn't see the floor again. And, and, you know, I think he's got some limitations defensively because, 
most 35-year-olds in the league do, but he brings something. And, and you kind of wonder, guys, if, if when Utawana Watanabe is back and he's up to speed and I'm thinking, you know, there's, I think he's going to play on this trip. I think it's going to take a while for him to get up to speed, you know, coming off a calf injury. It's really, you know, it's a, you know, it's hard to, uh, you have to be so careful in your rehabilitation. Uh, you know, you wonder how hard you can prepare in advance, but, but when they do have them back and, and they're otherwise healthy, I, I kind of look at this team and I'm like, you know, I, I wonder if they just like, if they just need to have a more dedicated bench unit and maybe kind of roll out uh, a group of five or four guys in a starter, um, to play a larger chunk of minutes and let them gain a bit of an identity and um, and try it that way because you've got a log jam for minutes big time. And, you know, I don't see outside of Ananobi, Van Vliet, and I guess Siakam, you know, I just don't see like a team that's, that's so separated that you have, uh, you know, five or six guys soaking up all the minutes. And, um, you know, and I think the other factor you're going to run into here is, um, like I said, if you've, you know, right now, Fred Van Vliet's leading the league in minutes. He played 41 against Philly. He played 40 last night. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know how sustainable that is either. Right. Like, I mean, um, so I just, I do, to your point broadly, I think there's going to have to be some kind of adjustments being made, uh, because, you know, I think what they're doing is, is a not working great. Uh, B is not really developing a lot of younger players, um, on a team that really is in a bit of a development curve, and see, um, you know, I don't know if it's if what they are trying to do is sustainable. <laughs> that's those would be that's the way I would look at it. Well, I, and Michael, and you know, we've had a lot of people <clears throat> ask us about this in terms of you know uh, letting guys play. I mean, Scotty played for people saying, oh, you know, Pascal's holding Scotty back. Scotty played forty minutes last night. And it's not like, it, you know, it's not like Pascal was, he had to split the time with Pascal, you know, possessions maybe, but you know, Scotty's, you know, he's a couple of years removed from his high school prom. Like this is not, this is not, and I'm under the firm assertion that young players need to be brought along, you know, it, at their own pace, some quicker than others. But if you push it too fast, then you get losing, you get bad, you get a bad culture of losing developing, and you get bad habits that are hard to undo because all they're doing is chasing the, the end product. I mean, it's like, well, yeah, my, my golf swing, the, the technique has to be good because I want to hit the ball far as opposed to just winding up and taking a happy Gilmore swing at it and say, oh, look how far it went. Well, when you don't do that all the time, there's nothing to correct. You've got bad habits. So... I, I I I understand you want to develop these young guys, but I think you have to do it on a on a responsible timetable. Agree or not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I do agree. I mean, I I think um, you know to the my previous point, like I, I just I just don't look at this team as being one where you know minutes should be vacuumed up by. Um, a single group, a single group. Like it, it, it's a very, you know, it, it, from one through eleven. Like I said, you know, you've got you know Fred and OG and Pascal are kind of, you know, they're they're in a slightly different category. But after that, you know, to me, it's it's there's a lot of interchangeable parts, and you know, Scotty for sure has been tremendous. 
And, you know, even last night, you know, he, he was at fault for some of those breakdowns defensively we're talking about. There was a couple of loose turnovers too, you know, but still finds a way, you know, for to score 18 points on 14 shots. Um, and, you know, like, and he's just such a playmaker. And I don't mean that passing. I mean, he just finds a way to make uh, the right play at the right time or create a little chaos at the right time or take advantage of a mistake at the right time that you understand why, you know, it's hard to get him off the floor, especially in close games, because you just never know when he's going to, you know, jar loose a rebound or, or you know, kind of just sneak in behind somebody because he can see somebody napping. Like he's got that kind of IQ. But I just think, um, you know, I just I, I just don't know if, if the best formula for this team to grow and develop is to have uh, – some of your younger players barely seeing the floor while you know uh, a, a good but not great group of veteran players uh, plus Scotty Barnes um, soak up 40 minutes a night I just don't see that as being uh, you know conducive short or long term Michael to that point have the Raptors identified yet do you think I mean we're, we're 15 games into the season who are those? Uh, uh, clearly, Delano Banton's at the top of the list. When healthy, I would assume Precious Achua is as well. But who are the guys then that need to be playing more in your eyes, or could be playing more, so that you know, even if it's only five more minutes, seven more minutes, so that Freddie's you know logging thirty-three to thirty-five and not forty or forty-two. Uh, who do you want to see more of in terms of these young guys? Because I also assume it's coming down to identifying who you actually believe is part of your future and not just kind of part of the present, but not really somebody that will be uh, you know a, a key cog going forward yeah I, I i would say this i mean you know i i don't understand i i've yet to get a clear explanation you know why malachi flynn plays you know somewhere between two and six minutes um you know like to me he's not on the floor long enough to do anything that really helps you <laughs> and he's not really on the floor long enough to really hurt you like it's it's a blink of an eye kind of thing and uh you know, so I think if you're if you're for whatever reason don't want to use Dragic in any meaningful way, like at all, um, I find it odd that you can't in turn find a steady twelve to sixteen minutes for Malachi Flynn and see if he plays his way out of that, or if he plays himself into more of that. And you know, I think Delano Banton is a really interesting player. I totally understand why there's so much enthusiasm for him. But guess what? He's been in the league now 15 games, and people kind of can see that, look, if you put a lot of pressure on his dribble, you know, and, and force him into, you know, kind of a, a half-court thing, you gotta, if you turn him two or three times, come up the floor, and all of a sudden there's 16 seconds on the shot clock or 14 seconds on the shot clock, you know, he is what he is. He's a very raw, uh, you know, prospect who's still learning how to play in the NBA. He's you know, his strengths are that he's a, again, a little bit like Scotty Barnes. He's a guy who can make plays just because he's got some real gifts and a good IQ, but he's not a polished player yet. And, um, you know, so again, if, if, you know, maybe he's a guy who, you know, could develop playing in the G League a little bit more and then kind of tightening up elements of his game that, you know, the NBA players and NBA scattering reports are going to, you know, take advantage of uh, sooner than later. So, you know, I just think that there's, you know, the short answer to that question is I, I think 
you know, I think Seema Halek gives them some shooting, gives them some uh, some play, general broader playmaking um, that he, you know he probably deserves more than eight minutes on a consistent basis. Um, and you know, and he's gotten it. He you know more or less he's definitely earned Nurse's trust. And I, I would like to see Flynn um, again have enough time to either play himself out or play himself in. Michael, do you think the realization uh, of some of that, you know, and maybe taking the load off some of the starters comes to fruition on this trip? Uh, I I mean, this is a – I look at the East, and I'm sure the Raptors are still entertaining. You know, they they think they can be, you know, maybe maybe eight, certainly in the play-in scenario. Uh, But, you know, you have a tough trip out West. The East is so – tough that you're going to be beating each other up if you fall behind it, it it may be tough to make up ground so i guess i'm i'm wondering do you see some of that maybe even morphing and changing on this trip in terms of the lineups yeah potentially right i mean you know it is a it is a a difficult trip but it is spread out right so you know you do have three and four night three games of four nights coming up but you have you'll have had two days off before so they're off Tuesday, Wednesday, then they play Thursday in Utah, and then Friday in Sacramento back-to-back, off day Sunday against Golden State, and then they have another couple of days off before they go to Memphis. So, you know, I, I, I think in that little three games and four night stretch, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he manages minutes and, and time and stuff like that. But um, if he wants to get away with it, he could – you know, I'm talking about Nurse. He he probably can just because this trip is is a little bit spread out. But um, again, it's more just a, a bit of a philosophy thing. I, I I think it's like, and and I say all this not knowing. You know, like, like I don't know what's going on behind the scenes that's that is dictating decision making here or there. But you know, when you just stand back and and look at it, and you've got, you know, like I said, like I, I just doesn't strike me as a roster that makes sense to you know be so top-heavy in terms of your minutes distribution. Hey, Michael, we appreciate the time. As always, uh, stay safe and healthy on the road. Enjoy the time away, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you back in T.O., I guess, in uh, two weeks. All the best, man. All the best. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Michael. There is Michael Grange from Sportsnet. Uh, again, the Raptors losing against the Blazers on Monday night, getting set for their next tilt against the Jazz on Thursday. And I know they've been back since, Jonesy, but uh, you still think about Utah, and at least based on the way things have been the last uh, you know, 20 months or so um, in terms of the pandemic in the world, I, I, I will forever remember Utah as uh, you know the last place the Raptors were before all hell broke loose and the world went sideways. And uh, just in general, that is always a difficult place to play. And when you think about the buildings in the league that are toughest to play in and win in because of the fans and whatnot. And certainly Toronto and Scotiabank Arena is right up there uh, on that list. The Raptors are seeing three of the first four on this trip. Portland's tough. Utah's tough. And then as Michael just laid out as well, that game coming up on Sunday uh, against the Warriors, the new joint isn't the same as what it was in Oakland at Oracle, but that fan base, and especially factoring in the team they're also watching and cheering on and how well the Warriors are playing this year, this is not easy uh, you know, for the Raptors when you talk about just going into hostile environments looking for a win on the road. The, the, the easiest, quote-unquote, easiest might be Friday against Sacramento, and you know they're no slouch by any means. 
Uh, certainly no game on the West Coast is a slouch, and that's going to be on the second night of a back-to-back as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is not an easy trip. It's it's not an easy trip, and uh, it's a it's a character-building and character-revealing trip too. It always is when you go out West uh, yeah. because you, you're out there for a long time. It's easy to lose focus. Uh, you, know, you know, you can kind of play hard and if you get hit hard by the other team you know are you gonna are you gonna fold up the tent and say okay we're done we'll wait for the next game or are you gonna fight back and that's why i say it 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 both reveals and and bill's character so uh it would have been really nice for them to grab that one last night particularly after the start and say okay we got one under our belt right and it's it's the first one is always difficult, whether it's, you know, your first basket or your first goal in hockey or your first hit in baseball. You just after you get the first one, the pressure's off for a bit. And and I, I just I just feel after the, the Detroit loss, um, it would have been a nice bounce back. But, um, you know, they're, they're unlikely, unlikely scenarios happen. And, and you know, you're, you're going into Utah, tough building, tough place to win. It might just be one of those, well, we didn't think they could do it, and they come out with a win.